Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Luke chapter 1. Hallelujah. You know, if you've been around here any length of time, you know my testimony in, in ministry and how Acts chapter 26, verse 16, 17, 18, which is our church vision. I've told you many times how uh, this had always been a, a part of me uh, and, and just something that was alive in me and, and identified what I was called to do. I always knew that. But then, of course, in 1986, in a time of waiting on the Lord in prayer and just fasting, and, and uh, that's when the Lord took that verse and really uh, burned it into my consciousness in the sense of making it the vision for my life. And I always sort of knew it and, and, and sort of uh, based my life on it. It was a, a passage that always came back to, you know, in my studying. But on that day, it was just like the, the deal was, was, was uh, uh, made permanent or cinched on the inside of me, you know. And, uh, and it also became the vision of the church. I could see, clearly see that. Well, this passage I'm about to read is, is another passage that it's not necessarily something that I've, I've looked to a lot over the years, but every time I do, when I read it, you know, you read through the Bible every year, you know, and you read uh, these passages. Uh, it's something that, that has always been sort of a, a, a not so, not so uh, uh, identified underpinning of my ministry. And the, and the way I minister. And it's in these first few verses, the first four verses of Luke chapter one. Luke here is, is introducing his gospel and uh, he's writing it particularly to an individual. And according to uh, chapter or verse number three, he calls this man most excellent Theophilus. And so that's an indication. It's the only, we have no other information in the New Testament about Theophilus. He's mentioned here, and then Luke mentions him again at the introduction of the book of Acts because he wrote both of those. And again, he wrote the book of Acts as a continuation of the book of Luke, and he wrote it to this Theophilus. And like I said, we don't know anything about him uh, other than we find in these two verses. But most excellent Theophilus would indicate that he was some type of uh, high-ranking Roman official or dignitary of some sort. That's all we know about him. And so the apostle, uh, uh, or the, uh, Luke here rather, he introduced his gospel this way. Let's start in verse one. He said, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Now, the margin of my Bible here where it says have been fulfilled, the margin of my Bible says are most surely believed. And that is, in fact, the way the older King James reads it. In the Greek, if you study it, there are some real subtle nuances in, in the way this is worded. and It really can go either way. And so a lot of translations today will, will translate it this way, a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled. Others say uh, it, that it's, uh, uh, he was writing a narrative of those things which are most surely believed among us. I kind of like that, uh, that uh, rendering of it because I think it better fits what he's trying to say in this passage. So I'm going to read it that way. We'll start over then. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things 
which are most surely believed among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. The margin of my Bible, or there's a little note here in my New King James where it says in verse three, it seemed good to me having had perfect understanding. There's a note there in the margin. It says literally, it says, I, had, I have accu excuse me, accurately followed all things from the very first. You know, it's important who you listen to. Luke said, I, I, others have taken this uh, uh, matter in hand to write uh, an orderly uh, description and, and presentation of these things. And he said they were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word and they delivered these things to us. He said these were people who not only, they didn't just hear about it from somebody else, they were eyewitnesses. And he said concerning himself, he, he didn't claim to be an eyewitness, but he says, I have accurately followed all of these things from the very first. You know, Paul told Timothy, we've been talking about, you know, the importance of, of who you follow in recent sessions. And Paul told Timothy, he said, uh, you know, make sure that you uh, keep the things that I've delivered to you and follow my example. And he said, the things that you've learned from me, knowing from whom you learn them. It's important who we learn things from. Amen. It's important that we know that people we're listening to have seen some things and know some things firsthand. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It seems to me today that a lot of times uh, generations, this is, this is sort of a generational problem. And it didn't just start recently. It's, it's been going on probably since the beginning of time. But it seems like each generation, whether it's in, in any endeavor, but we're talking about in the things of God, that each generation sort of wants to make a name for itself, wants to uh, uh, set out its own territory and define its own parameters and, and like I said, make a name and, and, and for themselves. I like to follow people who've been around a long time. Well, that was weak. I don't guess I get a lot of agreement out of that, but I'm going I'm to do it anyway. I like to follow someone who's been around a long time. Amen. I want to follow, I'm talking about, because he was talking about, he wasn't talking about God here. He was talking about those who are eyewitnesses to Jesus. Isn't that right? He was talking about that they delivered, they were ministers of the word, they were eyewitnesses and they delivered these things to us and, and that's, that's who I wanna follow. I wanna follow people who know what they, that they actually know what they preach and they know where it came from and they got it directly from the Lord. Amen. Directly from the word of God. Well, praise God. Now just let that sit in and, and, and sit there and simmer for a little bit. You'll get it after a while. Praise God. It's important what we believe. And like I said, this has always sort of uh, provided a, a, an underpinning uh, for the way I minister. I want to always bring us back 
to those things that are most surely believed among us. I, I, now, everybody has their style of ministry and, and people can do you know, whatever they're called to do. But I've, I've never been the kind of minister that is always looking for some trend in society that I can bring the word of God into to illustrate. I always start with the word first. What does the Bible say? What do we believe? Why do we believe it? Amen. It's important to know what we believe, but it's even more important to have what we believe. You know, a lot of people believe, a lot of people believe a lot of things, but they don't experience half of what they believe. They're not walking in what they believe, but they give credence to it. I, I came from a Pentecostal tradition, and you've heard my story. My grandmother, I'll tell it again in case you didn't, my grandmother was baptized in the Holy Ghost, saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost 100 years ago, 1917. And she was the first one in my family uh, to be born again that I know of, on, at least on that side of the family, and on my father's side. And she got filled with the Holy Spirit at 19 years of age, like I said, 1917, and started a... a a tradition in my family. She raised her family, my parents. They raised their children. That was me and my siblings and our generation. And we raised our children and they're raising their children. But we came out of that Pentecostal tradition. I noticed something in the 1970s when I was just a young man. I was just in my early 20s. And when I got back into fellowship of the Lord, I had been backslidden. When I got back in the fellowship of the Lord, I noticed something about my denomination. Now, we belong to the second largest Pentecostal denomination in America. And uh, the Assemblies of God was the largest Pentecostal denomination. The Church of God was the second largest. And uh, the Assembly of God derived more so from the West Coast outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Azusa Street in 1901. Uh, the church of God derived more, both of them had influence from both camps, but the church of God derived more out of from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in western uh, North Carolina, East Tennessee, North Georgia, in the Appalachian areas around the turn of the century, about the same time. And uh, uh, we had that, that Pentecostal tradition. We believed in uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues, healings, miracles, uh, all of the supernatural. But when I, I was backslidden as a teenager, when I got back in the fellowship of the Lord as a young man, 20 years old, started going back to church again. This was in 1972, late 72, 73. Uh, as I began to really get into the word of God, it's, it's such a hunger to know God and to know his word and to know the, the power of God. And what I, what I noticed was that third generationals, third generation people like myself, a lot of times were not very interested in the fullness of the spirit and the deeper things of God. Worldliness had crept in gradually over time. And at that time in the 1970s, 
there were surveys taken by our denomination that revealed that just under 50% of our membership, I'm talking about actual members, that just under 50% of our membership actually testified to being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. And so technically, you could not say that our denomination was a Pentecostal denomination or a Spirit-filled denomination when you have under half who actually have this experience. Now, how in the world did that happen in such a brief period of time? Well, it happens because one generation doesn't adequately relay to the next generation the preciousness of things and the certainty of things. And other things enter in, like I said, worldliness is a part of it, different things happen, but I found that to be really shocking and so that's one reason I've always tried to go back to, to uh, reestablishing the truths that make us who we are. And this is one reason why I wanted all of you a few weeks ago to read Kenneth E. Hagin's book, I Believe in Visions, because I knew there were people in our church uh, who had really were not that familiar with Kenneth Hagin and, uh, in, his, in his ministry and so forth. And so I wanted everybody... Uh, to believe uh, or to, to read it and understand some of the, the foundation of our church. And uh, we established the fact that, that Brother Hagen, following the, the traditions of the Pentecostal church and then working among charismatics, uh, when the charismatic movement came, it was the perfect vehicle for Brother Hagen's ministry. He was a, he was a prophet, but, but he was a teacher, a, a teaching prophet. And that wasn't something that was very well accepted among Pentecostals. But when the charismatic revival came, that was the perfect place for his ministry to really launch, you know, and, and go worldwide. And uh, uh, like I said in some of these other earlier sessions, the things that we learned really cover our full spectrum of, of statement of faith. I mean, it, it's, it's truths relating to the, the, uh, the word of God being the infallible word of God, the Old and New Testament, you know, and, and inspired word of God and, and the Trinity and, and the deity of Christ and of the Holy Spirit and the move of the Spirit and, and healing all of those things. And so today I just had it in my heart to talk about a, a particular fundamental truth and that is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and in the life of the believer. You cannot, as a Christian, you cannot underestimate the value and the importance of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives individually and in the life of the church. You just cannot underestimate. It is so critically vital to our lives. Now, there are two camps, just so you'll know this, in in, uh, in, in the church world at large, you can, you know, in, in any uh, thing, you can, you can, you know, identify different uh, groups. But if you, if you look at it in one, in one way, there are two basic theological positions or camps or groups in, in the body of Christ. There are the cessationists and there are the, and there are the uh, continuationists. The cessationists, those are actually terms. I didn't just make them up. 
The cessationists are those who believe that miracles, signs, and wonders, the supernatural power of God, uh, speaking in tongues, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, all of the, of the you know, uh, supernatural revelation, all of those things. There are those who believe those things ceased uh, at, the, at the close of what they call the apostolic age. In other words, the, the time with the, when the Bible was written. And, uh, you know, the first century and then up through the, the, uh, the, full, the completion of the New Testament. And they say that after, at that time, when that was finished, that all of these things ceased. So they're called cessationists. The other side, the other part of the body of Christ are people like us, and we're continuationists. And that simply means that we believe that all of these things that none of these things ceased, they all continued. And that they're supposed to continue. Amen. And that we have them today. That's right. Some people believe that, and I don't know if this is true, but some people uh, tend to believe that the cessationist position is on the decline in the church world and continuationist is on the incline. I would like to believe that's true. I know it's certainly on the incline in me. I'm believing more and more every day. I'm seeing more, I'm, I'm having more, and I'm, and I'm looking for more and shooting for more and reaching for more every day. Amen. Amen. And so we are continuationists. So now you have two terms. Among continuationists, there are three groups. There are Pentecostals, and then there are Charismatics, and there's another group that I'll get to. Uh, Pentecostals like myself, you know, I, I came out of a Pentecostal background. We have uh, uh, Sister Williams and and, uh, and Sharon there. We, uh, excuse me, Pat, and uh, all of these sisters. I, they don't look that much alike. I just get their names mixed up. Anyway, they came out of the same church that I was raised in, and we were Pentecostals. Like I said, my grandmother was uh, one of the first lay leaders in that particular denomination. And, uh, and so there are those who are raised in that and have stayed in, that, in those denominations and in that flow, they're Pentecostals. Now, I was a Pentecostal. Uh, I was backslidden through much of my teenage years and from an early teenager on up until uh, I was 20. And when I got back in fellowship, the Lord started going back to this Pentecostal church. The charismatic revival had broken out. And that started in 1960, and it was still going on and went on up through the end of the 1980s. And uh, there was a strong charismatic influence in our Pentecostal church. And when I got back into fellowship with the Lord, that's where I, that's where I found my place to connect. So I really consider myself more of a charismatic than a Pentecostal. Because uh, the charismatic ministry and, and that revival was what was going on. Brother Hagin's ministry was a, was a part of that. And though he was a Pentecostal, you know, originally. And, and, uh, and so there are Pentecostals, charismatics. Now, we've believed for a long time that there's another move of God coming. There's another major revival. Amen. Now, there's another group that uh, go by the term third wave. They're the third wave. Uh, I noticed this, that, that when there's a genuine revival going on, the people in the revival don't name themselves. 
People on the outside take notice that something's going on. When Pentecostalism broke, none of the people at Azusa Street and, 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 and up in, in uh, uh, the small villages and, and areas up in North Carolina, none of those people suddenly called themselves, we're Pentecostals. It was other people. And what they wrote and said about Pentecostals was not uh, uh, enduring, endearing. It wasn't uh, uh, complimentary. It was, it was maligning and criticizing. But they called them Pentecostals. And the same thing happened when the charismatic movement broke. In 1960, there was a pastor out in Van Nuys, California by the name of Dennis Bennett. And he was a, uh, an Episcopal priest, pastor. And he got up on Easter Sunday, 1960, very large church, prestigious church, you know, thousands of people plus there. He got up on Sunday morning and, and I, I think he really thought his people would be thrilled to hear this. But he got up and told his congregation, announced to his congregation that he and his wife and a couple more people in the church had experienced a baptism in the Holy Spirit and had spoken with other tongues. And they were so excited. He was so excited to tell his church about it. Well, his church was less than excited to hear about it. And that afternoon, there was a board meeting called and, and there was a lot of stuff started and eventually he had to resign that church. But it caused such a fervor and such a, 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 a thing in that church that even the local newspapers picked it up and they printed it. Local, you know, Episcopal preach speaks in other tongues. And I mean, it, when that happened, it just started spreading. It was, it was as if that was the, the birth of the charismatic revival. Now, it's interesting, in 1958, two years before that, Kenneth Hagin was preaching one night. And while he was preaching, he stopped and he said, there's coming another revival. And he said the next, now, the revival that, had, they had just come out of was the healing revival. And everybody understood in Pentecostal churches the healing revival started in 1947, went through 1958. So that revival had waned and, and, was, and was, had come, basically come to an end. Brother Hagen got up in that service that night and by the Spirit, he said, the next, re he said, there's another revival coming and this next revival is going to be in the church. We could see the healing revival was kind of outside the churches. It was mostly conducted in under uh, tents, you know, as the big healing evangelists traveled America and they had these huge tents and they would come into a city and set them up on the outskirts of town. I remember that as a young boy in the, in the middle 50s going to some of those tent revivals and healing revivals and tremendous things were happening. happening. Well, the, the healing, re healing revival took place mostly outside the local church. Brother Hagin said the next revival is coming in the church. Well, all the Pentecostals, as he was talking to Pentecostals when he said it, all the Pentecostals thought it was going to be in the Pentecostal church. Well, it wasn't in the Pentecostal church at, at all. It was in the body of Christ at large. All the mainline denominations got visited by um, a tremendous move of the Holy Ghost. And the Pentecostals nearly got left out because they couldn't believe anybody that wore lipstick could speak in tongues. That's the truth. <laughs> That's the truth. And, and, uh, and so Brother Hagin prophesied that two years before it happened. So in, in, in 1960 it happened. But it was, it, was if, it was if the church at large was a powder keg. And it was just waiting. It was just the conditions were just prime. And, and Dennis Bennett, that pastor, just sort of 
through the match into this tinder pile. And it just ignited. And it, it, it grew so rapidly. Newspapers started picking it up, started spreading around the country. People were talking about it. And Dennis Bennett didn't or orchestrate any of this. It just happened within a very short period of time. It was either Newsweek or Time or maybe both of them. One, or, one of those two or both of those magazines printed a story. It was on the, on the uh, you know, major story. I don't know if it was on the front page. But it was a major story in, in news magazines across America. And I mean, it just took off like wildfire. Well, nobody started out naming it the Charismatics. It, that's a name that happened over a period of time. So, I, you know, there, there, there's a group today they, that they call themselves the third wave. But I'm not really sure that this is the, 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 the next revival that we're waiting for. Not, you know, putting anybody down. I'm glad people are excited, you know, about getting in on the things of God. But uh, I, I'm telling you, there's, there is a greater revival coming than anything we've ever seen before. Anything we've ever seen before. Oh, glory to God telling you it's coming. Amen. Amen. Now, you know, we talk about revival sometimes. I'm, this is way off my topic this morning, but we talk about re yeah, hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory. <laughs> oh my. Hallelujah. Praise God. We <laughs> Oh, my. Glory, 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 glory. We talk, I'm having trouble talking. We talk sometimes about revival. And sometimes we question, well, why don't we just get on, you know, just get on board and let's just do this thing. Why are we just waiting? Why don't we just act like it's here and just... Revival is, a, is, is not all the part of man and it's not all the part of God. It's both God and man working together. Neither one can do it by himself. God can't bring revival by himself. Neither can he needs us to cooperate. We can't do anything by ourselves. We have to have God cooperate. You say, were well, you saying God's not cooperating? Well, uh, yes, in a sense. In a sense, hear me out. Over in Ezekiel, it, there's a prophecy, and you've read it before, about the, the river that's flowing out of, the, out of the temple. Remember that? That river's flowing. And, and it, it talks about it, it flowed out and at first, it, the waters that flowed out were ankle deep. And the further it flowed, the longer it flowed, it deepened. Well, you, you can't have deeper water without more water. All right. And deep, more water came, and then the imagery was the water was knee deep. And then it was waist deep. And then it was even higher than that. It was water so deep that you couldn't walk in. Amen. You know, what happens when water gets so deep you can't walk in it? You have to swim, right? Well, 
that increased water, that, that increased depth came from more water. So in order for revival to be greater, there has to be more water. Are you following me? There has to be more depth, more water to produce the depth and that water comes from the throne of God. Doesn't come from you or me. And in our time, God is wanting to do a whole lot more than he is doing, but he's limited in what he can do. Let me say it like this. The, the degree of water flowing, water we know is a type of the Holy Spirit. We know that water is used all through the Bible to talk about the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the, the, the anointing, the flow of God. The, the amount of water that's flowing isn't just up to God. If it was up to God, there would be no doubt uh, just a, a deluge of power. But in God's wisdom, he has joined together his part and man's part. You know, if God just released all of his power all of it once, we wouldn't be able to handle it. It'd probably destroy everything. <laughs> it would probably destroy the church. If God, if God in all his power, listen, the day of Pentecost wasn't all of God's power. What we see in the book of Acts isn't all of God's power. It was a demonstration of God's power, but it wasn't all of it. God could have done a whole lot more than he did on the day of Pentecost. I just don't know if Jerusalem would have survived. And so God doesn't just turn everything loose until we're ready for it. And the way we get ready for it, and, the, and, and at the same time, the thing that determines how much he turns loose is how much we pray. My message today was not supposed to be about prayer. But, but it seems like I'm on that, that flow for right now. It depends on us how much power is released. Yeah. Whew, glory. Hallelujah. Well, let's just thank the Lord for a minute because I'm going a different direction than I plan to. We'll make sure I'm finished before I get back on track. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Ooh, glory, 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 glory. Ha. My, 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 my. Sapotei, mashi, copa, pele, via, tomberana. Shevredia, kapohre, gates, de grefi, and ben dombrando, stuvradiando. Sevreved, vede, copie, shikrefu, stembre, nindondo. Lehergis, de grondo, stelefreved, vidana. Emesh, mahahu, kindimana, dea. Ekregis, devre, ben benitom, prepara, dacha. Eridea se predinga stofrefo televia tropefi and jane dodadonsa telefrefus. I've put things in your heart. I put things on the inside of you, the Lord says. You follow those things that I've put on the inside of you. Follow them carefully, follow them diligently. Follow them in my timing. Don't let anyone talk you out of what I've put inside of you, but you can allow people to bring wisdom to you that will help you understand what it is I've said to you. 
But those things that I have said, do not misinterpret. Don't put your own interpretation upon them. But you follow carefully and faithfully what I've spoken to you and it'll all come to pass. It will all come to pass. Glory to God. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. It'll all come to pass and you'll be full of joy and rejoicing and the blessing on you will spread. It will, it, will, it will radiate out from you and others, not only a few, but others, many others will be blessed and will come and rejoice in the things that, that I have for you that flow out of you. It'll reach other people. They'll be blessed. They'll rejoice and you'll just have a glad time in the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Shevre vikia to kopra Well, glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Well, let's stand up. Praise God. Hallelujah. Scres don zeda efrefita asta doen shistefa lefiti co prepele dafa. Ne aranistin condora dondo ela kikinchi change totolo funto punz delege feteleviki stando moshikate. Shevi fishti mana no en seriata. Thank you, Lord. 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 Hallelujah. Now, have some have said, well, I wish the Lord would talk to me. I wish the Lord would, would call me out. There are things on my heart. There are things that he's spoken to me about. I would like to have confirmation. The things that are spoken are confirmation. And if the Holy Spirit witnesses in your spirit when one is ministered to, if that bears witness in your own spirit, you can take that for yourself. Because not everybody needs to have hands laid upon. Not everyone needs to be called out. Not everyone has to have words spoken over them. I do things for my own reasons, says the Lord. And just obey what's on the inside of you. And what has been given to you, nurture that. Nurture that. Spend time feeding yourself. In in consecration, dedication to the will of God. And what you see and what you know will grow. Direction will come. More light will come. And you'll know. You'll know. You'll know the next step. You know, let me say this. I'm going to just speak from my understanding here. You know, God, if God expects you to do something in obeying him in any area of your life, you know, he's an intelligent person. He wouldn't require you to do something not let you know about it. Amen. 
So whatever your next step is in following the plan of God, if you, don't, if you really don't know, well, then you're not responsible. But you are responsible for staying open and staying hungry, keeping a, 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 an open ear to the Spirit. And when it's time for you to take another step, he'll let you know. If he doesn't let you know, don't take the step. Amen. Don't imagine things. I found this out that when the Lord gives direction in my life, he, he, I'm not talking about everyday direction, but I'm talking about things when I need to make changes in my life. That, that, that wisdom and that direction comes to me uh, from several different ways or from several different directions, I should say. In other words, he witnesses that to me in more ways than one. Let me say it that way. So the Lord will lead you. Amen. If you've got things in your heart, you just keep them there. The Bible says Mary kept these things in her heart, pondered them in her heart, kept them to herself. Amen. But eventually everything she saw came to pass. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.